0: I struggled, not with this message, but even writing notes at all. I decided I was just going to go from the Word of God, and that's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, But I wrote the notes down just for your benefit, because uh, some people like to take them away and look at them later. So uh, if I don't strictly follow those at all, please forgive me. I'm just going to go with what's on my heart this morning and what the Word of God uh, points out to me as we go. But as we've been looking at the book of Romans... We're seeing that Paul's building up a picture, a picture of the normal Christian life. Watchman Lee nee, what wrote, once wrote a book, The Normal Christian Life. It's on the book of Romans, very hard book to understand. When I was preparing this message, I went to it and then I put it back on the shelf <laughs> and got another. But his premise and, and, and his, his message from it was that Paul is detailing to us in the book of Romans the normal Christian life, what it means to be a normal Christian. And what we'll discover as we go through the book of Romans is that most of us are very abnormal. That we actually don't live this out very, very well. And yet it's what we're supposed to be. Our Christian lives aren't the vibrant, life-giving Christian lives they're meant to be because we are actually not following the pattern which is in the book of Romans. So my desire as we go through this book, and we're halfway through. My desire is that we discover what it means to be a Christian, that we discover what it means to be a person who brings life wherever we go, not just as individuals, but more importantly, we discover what the church is really meant to be because that's what Romans is really all about. It's about us getting ourselves sorted so when we come together, we are the powerful children of God that God desired us to be. So Paul's building up this picture of the normal Christian life. He's showing us who we were, that we were broken, that all of humanity is broken. As we've said over and over, it's not a case of listing sins and in, 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 in a list of importance down to not important or huge down to little. It's a fact that humanity is broken and that brokenness uh, reveals itself in a ho- many, many, many ways. And we're good at pointing at some of those ways and saying oh that's bad and oh that's sort of okay because I do it. But all brokenness is brokenness whether it's big or little. It's broken. And when something's broken it's broken. When it's got a chip on it, one of your plates has got a chip on it, it's got a chip on it. You can't you know you can't say oh it's okay. It's broken. And we, humanity are broken. Paul is not just showing us who we were, but he's showing us who we now are in Christ. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that that brokenness could be sorted. And as we invite the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, as we dedicate ourselves to what he did on the cross, as we accept his work on the cross for us, that brokenness becomes healed. God then looks at us and says, you are in the right. I don't hold anything against you any longer. You are in the right. You're justified. You're righteous. Not you're a perfect person, but before God, you are in the right. He doesn't hold anything against you and I any longer. But also, he shows us who we can become if we cooperate with the process, It's not about just getting us in the right before God, but it's about changing us as we are now to what God wants us to be. So the church can become that beautiful body of people that's without spot or wrinkle. That's God's plan. God's plan is to take broken people save them, bring them together, bring them into a wonderful group of broken people who are learning to be healed and bring them to that place where they function together in power and glory. That's God's plan. Last time we saw in the beginning of Romans 8 that as Christians we have the Holy Spirit living within us, every single one of us. You know, we sing the silly songs, really, Holy Spirit come down. Well, He's already in you. Now, we understand what we're singing when we mean that, when we sing that, but we need to understand that the Holy Spirit isn't somebody who's away from us. He lives within us all the time. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, you have the third person of the Trinity, or the second, or whatever order you want to put him in, you have him living within you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. 24 hours of the day. When you're asleep, he's within you. When you're driving too fast, he does not get out of the car. Regardless of what other people might say, he still lives within you. He mightn't be happy with what you're doing, but he's still there. God doesn't hop in and out of your life. When you become a Christian, he is resident within you. But even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we still experience difficulties from time to time. Romans 8 tells us that. Paul calls them sharing in Christ's sufferings. He calls it a privilege. The privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings. As a Christian, everything will not go well for you all the time. Do you get that? Paul teaches that. Life is life. You have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have God within us, but we still live. Stuff happens, people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. It's just life. You don't earn the right to have a nice life. Is that good news or bad news? Otherwise, some of us would have a hell of a life. And some of us would have a nice life, and we'd think, well, what's going on here? It's just living. Because you breathe, you're in a broken world. So stuff happens. But beyond that, Paul shows us something else in Romans. He shows us that, yes, life happens, but there's glory on the way. God is forming for himself a people who are going to bring transformation to this world. Glory is on the way. It's not just suffering but there's glory we hold the two in one hand and in the other hand there is life in one hand and there is the there is what god is taking us into his glory in the other those are both true you know i get really annoyed when when uh, some christian groups uh, point the finger at, at churches like ours and say oh you're just triumphalist i tell you what i'd rather be triumphalist than living in misery I'd rather believe that there's glory ahead of me and God has great things in, in store for us. I'd rather believe that God has good plans for us than just go about living in misery and sulking all the time. Oh, woe is me. It's just a hell of a life. and Oh, I'm hanging on until I get to heaven. What? That's not what we're here for. We're not here to hang on till we get to heaven. We're here to do some good while we're here, as Aaron was saying before. And we will only do good while we're here if we... Firmly believe with all of our hearts and all of our mind and all of our strength that there's glory on the way, that there's something better for us, that what we have now will not always be, that the life we have now will change, that I will change. And I want you to know I have changed. Annette and I were talking the other day about how much I've changed. She's always been good, but I haven't. I tell you, she has. She's, she's always been awesome. That's what attracted me to her. But I wasn't awesome. I was a messed up, broken person. Half of me was good, and the other half, yeah. And God's been working on me. I have been transformed. I have been changed. I'm pretty relaxed now. I used to be uptight, but that has gone. You know, stuff can happen, and I think, oh, yeah, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I won't even think about it today. God has changed me. He's transforming me. How? As I surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life as I surrender to that inner voice within me, as I surrender to the Word of God, God is taking us from glory to glory. You mightn't think your life's glory now. I tell you, He's taking you to glory. That is your future if you'll embrace it. You can have misery if you like, but it's not God's intention. So the Holy Spirit's job is to steer us towards that glory. That's what He does. That's His work. God has a healing job to do on this planet. People are broken, as I said. Creation's broken. But healing is available. Where? Through the church. It is God's intention that the church bring healing to this planet. Are not using plastic bags important? Yeah, I reckon it's important. I reckon it's important as Christians. we, We bring health to our planet, not pollute the thing. I think it's important we bring wholeness to our planet. But it's more than plastic bags. It's, it's spiritual life. It's wholeness. It's allowing the spirit to work through us. It's allowing the prophetic gifts to flow through us. It's allowing life to flow through us so that we can bring healing and wholeness wherever we go. That's God's intention. And that's who we are. We're wounded healers. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we're being fixed, but our job's to bring healing wherever we go. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't wait till you're perfect to use you. He uses you when you're in a mess. Some of the greatest works of God I've seen, through, I've seen done through some of the most messed up people. And I've wondered, God, how can you do that? How can, how can you, you use that to do that? And God says, that's what I do. I use that to do that. And he uses you if you'll let him. You don't have to wait till you're perfect. He'll just use you as you are. I, I think uh, I went to a meeting this last week uh, with uh, a guy from Kenya. Nairobi. Nairobi. Yeah, Nairobi and Kenya. And he he was talking about the difference between the West, Western Church and the African Church. And he's basically saying this, we've become too careful. We've become too inhibited. We have to have all of our ducks in a row. We have to wait till everything is perfectly sorted out before we will do anything. And he said, that's not the way it's meant to be. We're meant to be out there just doing stuff for God, and we'll make a mess because we're a mess, but in making a mess, we'll do some good. And that's what we're meant to be doing. He likened it to firing a gun. He said, you know, he said, he said, uh, he he was taught to fire a gun when he was in America. And they said, now, this is what you do you put the shoulder stock of the gun in here, and you lift the gun up, and he said, ready, and aim, and fire. He said, that's the, oh, okay. And, 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 but he said, what he's learned about the Western church is it's this. It's ready, aim, 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 aim. He said, You've been aiming for hundreds of years. Aim. He said, It's time you fired. He said, The African church is like this fire, 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 fire. They don't even bother to aim, they just shoot all over the place. Make a whole lot of a mess, but at least they do something. And I. I think there's truth in that. I think we've got to do a bit of aiming here. Yeah. But there's truth in that we need to start doing something for God. There's people in our community that are not being reached because we are here. And we should be out there. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be here on a Sunday. Sunday's got its place. What we're doing now is important. But that's not all of it. You're not saved to live here. You're not saved to spend all of your day within a church building. You come into a church building for two hours to be uplifted and strengthened and, 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 and encouraged so that we can go out and do something for God. You know, there's, there's homeless people out there that need a church out in our community. Coming into a building like this is, doesn't do it for them, but they need a church out in the community. It's a church in the park. Why not? Have you thought of that? Street kids. Church on the street. I couldn't do that. Yes, you could. Have you got a mouth? Have you got a body? Have you got a Bible? Have you got love? Then you can do it. And an umbrella. <laughs> and a puffer jacket. <laughs> and a hot water bottle. But there's, there's a number, there's no, myriads of things we could do for God if we just did it, and didn't worry too much about. Aiming for the rest of our lives or being perfect before we can do it. Anyway, that's another message for another day. Let's go to Romans 8, 28, shall we? Romans 8, 28 to 39. I'm going to read the whole thing through and then we're going to go through it verse by verse. That's all we're going to do this morning. And we know that in all things, God wants works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is one of the most amazing passages in the whole Bible, this bit here. For those God foreknew, he also uh, predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His son, that he might, be the, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I tell you, there's 15 sermons just in that verse. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, For your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. End of sermon. Isn't that good stuff? Can go home now. That was it. Shall we talk about it a bit? Let's go to verse 28. And we know. Paul's in no doubt here. He's definite. This isn't I wish or I hope or wouldn't it be nice if. Paul says, I know. What does he know? He says, we know that in all things, not some things, not just the good things, Not the things of the person next to me, but in all things. What does he say about all things? We know that in all things, God works for the good. Some translations say all things work together for good. There's a sense of cooperation here, a combination of ingredients like making a cake. No, I can't make a cake. Don't ask me to. You won't like what comes out. But I know how it works. I've seen my wife do it successfully many times. She can't make pavlovas, but she can make a cake. I've seen her do stuff. She gets white stuff, and she puts it in. And she gets yellow things and puts them in. And she gets other white stuff and puts it in. And she puts all this stuff in a bowl and then mixes it all up and then sticks it in a hot place, and lo and behold, out comes a brown cake. Now, what is that? It's all things working together for good. Now, you taste some of those Little bits that go in there. The little white powder that she puts two teaspoons in. You try eating that one day. Hmm? Baking soda or whatever it is, baking powder. You try eating that. It's disgusting. It's absolutely vile. And yet, the cake's gorgeous. How can it be that something vile can go into that mixture and create something beautiful? Because all things work together for good in a cake. But it's not just in a cake. There's vile things in your life that God is going to take and put them with other things, mix them up together, and with with the Holy Spirit's help, they're going to create good in you. In all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the disgusting, God can work good if you let Him. Isn't that good news? I know, Paul says, not just a maybe, I know that in all things, God will work together for good. Who for? For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know who that is? You. You. Not one of you missed out here. Who does God love? Everybody. God so loved who? The whole world. Who are you this morning? You're called according to his purpose. You've been called into his kingdom if you're a Christian this morning. If you're not, you're still called. You just haven't answered yet. In all things, God works together for good in your life, if you will let him. That's good news. I know, Paul says, not might. It is. It's definite. It happens. Whether you like it or not, it happens. I've looked at many things in our lives, and I thought, man, what a disaster. God, what can you do with that? I look back now, 20, 30, 40 years later, and I think, wow, God, you are amazing. Amazing. You can take that and you can make that. I just thought it was a mess. I've watched other people's lives and I think, God, what can you do with that? And 10, 20 years later, Shazam, look at what I made. That's what he does. He takes messes and he makes beautiful things. All things work together for good. We spend all of our lives wailing and groaning about the bad all things, and we, don't, and we forget that God can take those bad all things and work them together for good if we are in his hands, if we will just let him. That's good on its own, isn't it? Let's move on, 29 to 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. you know what we've got in here? We've got the salvation process, all in a nutshell. First of all, it says God foreknew. Those whom God foreknew. God knows everything from the beginning. He knows what decisions you're going to make. He knows the mistakes you're going to make, and he knows the good choices you're going to make. God's foreknowledge. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Now, we get all mucked up with predestination. There's a, there's a, a problem with that amongst Christians. Oh, does God just choose some people and not choose others? You know, it's God like, oh, yeah, I like Linda, I'll choose her, but no, not you. You can go to hell, but I'll choose her. Is that, is that God? No. What does he say? Predestined is caused to happen beforehand. What does God predestine? Read it carefully. Those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. What's predestined is our destination. What is predestined is God's purpose. God's purpose is that we will become like Jesus. You have been predestined to be like Jesus. God has already ordained it. It's going to happen, whether you like it, or not it'll either happen progressively on this earth as you cooperate or it'll happen when you die and go to heaven but it's going to happen it's predestined to happen it is a definite and what, there's more to it predestined to be, to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers we've also been predestined to be part of his family part of Jesus brothers we're God's kids get this You are part of God's family. You are a child of God. You are not a worm. You are not a sinner. You are a child of God. We need to start living like it. And those he predestined, he called. God has called you. And those he called, he's justified. He's declared, you are in the right. You are now in the right before God. When you stand before God, he says, you are in the right. Regardless of what you've done in the past, that's God's pronounced pronouncement over you. You are in the right. You are justified. But even more better than that, those he justified, he's also glorified. He's going to bring you to your final state. He ain't finished with you yet. The best is yet to come. Isn't that good? Let's keep on going then, because there's more. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, I love this stuff. If he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know that? Because God has gone to such great lengths to reach you. He sent His Son to the cross to die for you. If God did that for you, nothing can come against you. God is for you. He's on your side. We don't get that as Christians. We, we sort of have this sort of adversarial relationship with God that He's sort of, he's sort of angry with us, and He's waiting with a four by two to hit us over the head whenever we make a mistake. God is not like that. He's for you. He loves you. He went to the ultimate extent to reach you. If he's going to go that far, then he's going to stay with you. He's for you. He's on your side. He's got your back. And he's not going to let you down. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. <laughs> Man, this is good stuff. Who can blame you then? Who can make a charge against you, Paul says? Nobody. There's nothing that can come against you. No charge can be laid against you now. Jesus Has taken it all. Not only that, he's now at the right hand of God speaking for you. He's in heaven right now speaking for you. He's saying, God, Daryl Diesto is a good man. And the devil's there saying, Oh, God, you would have seen what Daryl did the other day. And Jesus is saying, Shut up, he's a good man. And God says, Yeah, I listen to Jesus, I don't listen to you. Jesus is speaking for you. Now, we've just looked at the first part of Romans 8, and the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Day after day, moment by moment, the Holy Spirit is within you, is interceding for you before God. You've got the Holy Spirit praying for you. You've got Jesus praying for you. You can't fail. I had my mum praying for me while she was alive. But I've got even better than that praying for me now. I've got the Holy Spirit praying for me. I've got Jesus praying for me. I cannot fail if I stay in that kind of love. I can choose to walk out of it, but if I stay in it, man, there's no charge against me. The devil can't point out to God what I did last year or what I did 15 years ago. That's gone. God's not interested in that anymore. Jesus is standing for you. No charge against you. Stop stop reminding yourself of what you were. Stop pulling yourself down for what you were. God has set you free from that. You're not perfect. I know that. I'm not perfect either. But the point is, what was has gone. There's no charge against you. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword. Paul's asking a question, Who, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists a whole lot of things that are on this earth, a whole lot of natural things. He says, is there anything on this earth that can separate us from the love of Christ? And his answer in verse 37 is quite simple, no. Nah. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Nothing. No hardship can separate you from God's love. No famine can separate you from God's love. No persecution can separate you from God's love. Nobody can take God's love away from you. Isn't that neat? You know, all of my life, i lived looking for the approval of people. Anyone like me? I'm the only one, all right? So I'm just a bad person, but I'll tell you about my bad person. I lived looking for the approval of people. I acted to get people's approval. I would do things to get people to like me. I'd draw kids' pictures at school so they'd be my friend. That's tragic, isn't it? Sick. But it's brokenness. And as an adult, I still lived wanting people's approval. And I'd, As a pastor, it's not like that now. It's gone. But in my early days as a pastor, I'd look at my church and think, oh, it's not as good as somebody else's, you know. And you'd be comparing. Why comparing? Because I wanted to be someone to approve of me. And I'd go to, this is terrible, self-disclosure, here it all goes. I'd go to Assemblies of God conference and I'd hate that question, how many are in your church? Because I knew darn well they were going to tell me theirs were three times as big. And, and there's a and this, this sense of, of failure everywhere I went and not being approved of. And, and you know, other people would be, would be, you know, taken up on the stage. and Oh, aren't they doing well? And I think, I'm doing okay too. Why don't you notice me? All this sort of weird stuff going on. Why? Because I needed approval of people. And it wasn't until God showed me that... I already have all the approval I need. God loves me. I have his approval. He approves of me. He thinks I'm okay. He, he doesn't, isn't interested whether there's two in the church or 2,000 in the church. He thinks I'm great. And now I can look in the mirror and say, God, you've done a good job. Not because I'm proud and arrogant, because I finally understand who I am before God. God likes me. I don't have to earn his love. I don't have to earn his like. I don't have to earn his approval. He already approves of you. You don't believe me, do you? Read it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Verse 37, let's keep going. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Oh, this is good stuff. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, not I think, not I might be, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is amazing. In all these things, what things? The things this world would throw against us. Trials, hardships, suffering, opposition, persecution. Nothing can take God's love away. And then he says something more. Get this. This is not just words. I thought about this this last week. We're more than conquerors. Now, that's not being triumphalist. That's being over-the-top triumphalist. We are more than conquerors. Now, how can you be more than a conqueror? Have you thought about that? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror. I thought a conqueror was it. I thought that was the, the pinnacle of it all. No, it's not, you know. You know, when David fought his war, he would conquer the army, and then the conquered army were then used to make their cities better. They used them as slaves to build up the city and to do all the menial work that no one else wanted to do. So he became more than a conqueror because not only did they win a war, they ended up with better cities because they used the conquered to do their work. That's more than a conqueror. Now, what is Paul saying about us then? He's saying exactly the same thing as he said in verse 28. He's saying it doesn't matter what comes against your life, no matter what comes against in front of you or around you to oppose you, not only will you overcome that, but it is going to be used to make you better. Not only are you going to be victorious in the end as you go through this thing, but you are going to come out greater, better, stronger, more glorious because of that thing. You are going to be not just a conqueror over that thing. You're going to become more than a conqueror in that thing. You're going to be better because of that thing. More than conquerors. Through whom? Through him who loved us. God is our strength. He gives us the ability to stand and to be victorious no matter what comes our way. I am a living testimony to that fact that no matter what has come into our life, God has caused us to become more than conquerors. Those things have made us better. Those things have made us stronger. I'm a better person today because I suffered yesterday. Do I want to go through it again? Not on your life, but I'm glad I did because God has used that for good. More than conquerors. Last thing about this passage. These aren't just natural things that we are more than conquerors over. Look at the list. I'm convinced that neither death nor life. Some of us are afraid of death and some of us are afraid of life. Well, neither of those things you need to worry about. Neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else. If he hasn't covered it all already, he says anything else in all creation. In other words, there is nothing able to separate us from the love of God. No spiritual power can separate you from the love of God. No natural thing can separate you from the love of God, and no spiritual thing can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can take God's love away from you. How secure is that? Huh? You know, little babies, when they're loved, are secure, right? Our, our little grandson, the youngest one, smiles at everybody. Now, he doesn't know some of those people he smiles at aren't very nice. Because not everybody's nice, are they? My oldest, older grandson is like that with dogs. He will go up to every dog because he's got a dog, huge, great big brood of a thing that's, that, that's nice. So he thinks all dogs are nice. Because his dog's nice. But his mum and dad have taught him to ask before he pets other dogs. Huh? Because he thinks all dogs are nice. Why? Because he's secure in that relationship with that animal. The youngest grandson is secure in his relationship with the, with the significant others in his life. So he smiles at everybody. You smile at him, he'll smile at you. You fake a smile at him, he'll give you a genuine one back. Because he's secure. He just thinks he's marvelous. He thinks everybody loves him. He thinks this world's full of nice people. He's secure. He's yet to find out the truth. But I tell you what, I'm secure like that in God. I'm secure. I know that when I look at God, I'm going to get a smile every time. I know that he's not frowning at me. He's never frowning at me. He's smiling at me. I always used to think God had an f- eternal frown, a grumpy God. You know. Peter Tate, you're just a horrible, horrible, mean, nasty little person, and I'm going to squash you. That was my sort of feeling. God's not like that. He smiles at me all the time. When he talks about you, he smiles. When he writes about you, he smiles. He loves you. You can be secure in his love. Never, ever, ever ever will it go away from you. You're safe. You can, I'll use the word, you can screw it up and God will still love you. You don't believe me, do you? Don't go out and mess things up just to find out. But the fact is, it's true. God doesn't give up on you. I would have given up on me a long time ago. But he doesn't. God loves you. What an amazing promise, eh? This this is just an amazing part of Scripture. And you know, all of that's possible because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. All of that's possible. You can be secure now because Jesus gave his life for you. Despite our broken state, God reached out for us. He looked past what we are and he looked into who we really are. He says, I love you. I love you enough to do this for you. And when we responded to that call, he placed his Holy Spirit within us. Now that same Holy Spirit's in work in us day after day after day. Do we muck it up? Yes, we do. And he just picks up the pieces and rebuilds again. In the good, the bad, and the ugly circumstances of life, God's working His glory in us. Isn't that great? So, next time something goes wrong for you, just think this God's working this for glory. I wonder what great thing is going to come out of this. Oh, another problem. <laughs> what good thing is going to come out of this? You know, that's the way we should start thinking. No. <laughs> God, where are you? What a mean God allowing this to happen to me. He says, come on, come on. It's just the baking soda. (laughs) The cake's coming. We've got to start getting our eyes on the cake and off the baking soda. Hmm? I spent the first 20 years of my life looking at baking soda. It's not good to look at. Start looking at the final picture. You know those pictures in the cookbook? That's you. That's what God sees. God sees the picture in the cookbook. Stop looking at the ingredients. God takes them all, puts them together, and makes the picture. The picture's you. That's where you're going. Start rejoicing in God because of the picture. Oh, God, thank you that I am becoming into your likeness. I thank you for what I'm going through right now. That's why Paul said we can be thankful in all circumstances. Out of it is going to come good. I think that's exciting, really. I think that's quite good. I'd rather be a Christian than anything else. Because I know, I just don't think, I just don't hope, I know that this stuff's true. And I know it's not just true for me, it's true for you too. We're being changed from glory to glory. We used to sing a silly old song. From glory to glory, he's changing me, changing me. It's true. From glory to glory, he's changing me. Terrible music, but wonderful words. You are being changed from glory to glory to glory to glory. And right now you're tasting a bit of baking soda, but just understand that out of it's coming the cake. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. In fact, there's only one thing that can, and it's you. You can reject it. You can push it away. You know, our little grandson was with us. He had a bad day. You know how kids have a bad day. Three-year-olds have bad days. It didn't matter what good we tried to do for him; he pushed it away. <clears throat> you know the lemon face. And he couldn't enjoy the day because he's rejecting the day because in his little heart he decided to be broken for a day. Who suffered? Oh, we suffered. (laughs) But he suffered. He had a miserable day. He went to bed miserable. We don't have to go to bed miserable, people. All we have to do is surrender to God in the day. Oh, a bit of baking soda. Praise God. Glory's coming. Oh, bit of horrible tasting flour. Praise God. Glory's coming. Glory's coming. God, you're going to use this. I'm excited with going to be watching how you're going to use this. This is the worst thing I've ever been through in my life, and I'm excited how you're going to do anything out of this, God. Praise God. Glory's coming. Is that triumphalist? No, it's truth. Cuz I'm not minimizing our sufferings. They are real. They are painful. They are difficult sometimes. But what I'm saying is, if we will hang in there, glory's coming. Glory's coming. God's making something out of us. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can keep us from God's amazing love. And it's a love that's going to keep working and working and working and working until we go into eternity and we just enjoy it forever. Do you think that's quite good? I think that's quite good. I get excited by that. I've I've been reading this over the last couple of weeks. I've been getting excited. I've been preaching it to myself. It's been, whoa, <laughs> preach it again, Peter. I like that. It's good stuff. Better than that, it's not just a story, it's true. And I know it's true because I've proved it. Be encouraged. God is for you. Who can be against you? And I want you to know this morning, God's for you. really is. Father, I just thank you for your word, your word that is so encouraging and so life-giving. I thank you that in this room this morning, there are people, some of them tasting baking soda, some of them tasting flour, some of them tasting sugar. There's all sorts of stuff going on in our lives, but you're taking all of that and causing it to work together for good for goodness in our lives, for glory in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to surrender to you, that we would know beyond all knowing that we are no longer slaves. That even though life is not what we'd like it to be right now, we are going towards total freedom. And we thank you for that. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for what you're going to do because, God, is good. I can't wait for next year. I can't wait for the year after. I can't wait for the year after that because it's going to be better because you're in it. And if you're in it, God, it's good. So Father, we just give those circumstances of our lives that we're going through right now to you with bitter tasting, sweet tasting, or don't taste like anything. We give them to you. And Lord, we surrender our lives to you and say have your way in us. God. Amen.